Hello and welcome to another edition of Dual Candle Radio with Lenora Sarver. Stay tuned in. We got a great one today. Everyone's doing well. And that uh, you're not in the way of any catastrophic storms or events at this moment. Uh, today, we're going to get right into the topic today, which is going to be 15-Minute Cities and debunking the possible conspiracy theories around it. And then we're going to take some observation of some pagan rituals and things like that in cities and even take some observation on God's original design for a city. Now, as you may or may not heard, there's a bunch of conspiracy theories going around since... uh, 2021 since the COP27, how uh, we're going to have climate lockdowns and stuff like that. And if we get into a 15-minute city, we're going to lose, you know, our liberty to move about and interact. Um, There's a lot of things on the table. And whenever you're introducing a new thing like this, just to civilians or the public, there's going to be some some ideas, especially if you have gaps in, in information. Because a lot of people will not apply themselves to go and look and read the content for themselves and answer their questions. They'd rather listen to Billy Joe Bob over here saying, well, that's just going to be another reason for the government to have more control over us and lock us down and take away all of our money and our vehicles and we won't have any place to go but the 15-minute city and yeah. There are pros and cons to any new thing. But in case you all haven't noticed, after this pandemic has been the great reset. It's been the great, hey, let's change everything out with the old, in with the new. We got to find a new way of living because the way we've been living is destroying the planet. And it's, you know, nonstop. People just trying to figure out how to get around the torturous feeling and acknowledgement that we could be living on borrowed time. That if we cannot get our planet and our climate under control, then we are in for some major devastation. And that is a great possibility. So, this is why we have the mad dash of all the governments around the world trying to figure out new ways of living cleaner air, etc. Thinking that's going to be what it takes to fix the problem. As you've listened to my shows before, repenting of sin will fix the problem. But those of you who don't believe in Jesus and you don't believe in God, well then that's not going to work for you. You're going to have to figure out another way because you have no intentions of repenting or even serving God or acknowledging him. You're going to live your way, your life, etc. But we all know, those who believe, we know. We know what time it is. Bible prophecy has been leading up and describing days like today for God knows how long. Either way, we're going to explore today what these cities are about. What is in these cities? What are the limitations? What are, what are the good things? What are the downside? And hopefully clear up some of the 
confusion that is ongoing. And as these cities take place, there's going to be more hype. There's going to be more people coming to the forefront saying, oh, well, this is just another way for the government to control us, etc. Look, if we had a climate lockdown, for example, we would be locked down where we are without the 15-minute city. Just saying. So if we all gravitate into these 15-minute cities and we get locked down there, it's not going to matter where you're at. If things get out of control, and God knows how much he can push things, and usually he will push it slightly past the human limitation and then let off. But nobody knows, no scientist, not even the majority of the believers know how far God can push things to where we'll still be okay, but he's still getting his work done. Either way. So we're going to be looking at a, um, an article out of Bloomberg. And this is an older article. This is actually an older topic. And this was published uh, March 2nd, 2021. And it says the idea of a 15-minute city in which residents live within a short walk or bike ride of all their daily needs has been embraced by many mayors around the world during the global pandemic as a central planning tenant. Now, as I was doing research on this, I noticed that this is going on all over the world. Everybody is coming up with their own little, you know, new city, 15 minute city. You know, they have different names for it around the globe. So everybody is on board with this idea. They feel like it's going to be a fresh, clean start. This would be the answer to a lot of the issues that we've been having, etc. But at the same time, I'm reading over some of this stuff and I, and I have questions like, what may be good for, say, the desert areas may not be good for the American areas. So I'm sure they're taking that into accountability as they're trying to set forth this new way of living. But I will say, you know, right off the bat, before I even move into the rest of this article, um, cities like this would be good for people with special needs. It would be good for people who are elders. It would be good for people who are forgotten and isolated out in the rural and the um, country areas, and they can't get to where they need to go because of no transportation or no family. You know, the list goes on of all the lack that some areas of just society struggle with. So something like this would be very ideal for them because they'd have all their needs met within 15 minutes. And just our, say, for example, um, the ambulance time, if you needed to call 911, you wouldn't have to wait 30 minutes or so like we do in Cleveland nowadays just to get a call or just to get an ambulance out there. You could have the ambulance out there in half the time. So there is a lot of benefits with this, but we always have those fears that people deal with, that they bring to the surface because they don't have all the answers to everything. And they feel like the overhead or the government is not going to tell them honestly. Well, let's hope we can answer some of that stuff today. It says here in the article, but there are dangers of applying a model conceived in Europe to many North American cities, some urban experts warn. 
Transplanting this 15-minute city template across the Atlantic could be presumptive and colonial, said Toronto-based urban designer and thinker Jay Pitter at the City Lab 2021 conference, hosted by Bloomberg. And then it says, I'm a champion of the hyper-local, as certainly we need more resilient, climate-change-resistant cities, said Pitter, who works on public space designs in a number of U.S. cities. However, I am adverse to this concept. It doesn't take into account the histories of urban inequity, intentionally imposed by technocratic and colonial planning approaches such as segregated neighborhoods, deep amenity inequity, and discriminatory policies of our public spaces. The core principles behind the 15-minute city aren't new to urban planning. They derive from an old history of designing cities around people rather than cars. And many European cities that were planned before the invention of the automobile are better suited to this notion. But the idea that has been popularized during the pandemic and all is that all cities including European ones, must center future planning on the goal of ensuring car-free access to basic necessities, such as health care, schools, employment, and food. It's a lofty goal, but one that is unlikely to reach all neighborhoods in many cities without drastic interventions and investments. Pitter warns that simply injecting design changes such as bike lanes and parklets into a neighborhood will not reverse segregation that has been embedded into city planning. We've actually designed cities to create buffers between us across race and class specifically, and this proposal completely ignores a century of planning interventions that have actually contratized deep social divisions within people. Hmm. Ignoring and failing to tackle that could serve to further alienate marginalized communities, Pitter added. What we see already within marginalized communities is resistance to things that are actually really wonderful and beneficial, like more walkability or bike lanes. The reason we see this resistance is because these kinds of approaches, while good for us and the environment, also often spur gentrification. And so communities are very nervous about that. Speaking at the same session, Dan Hill, strategic director of Vinova, Sweden's national innovation agency, agreed with Peter's critique, but he borrowed a suggestion from his own organization's current project for helping to overcome these concerns. Sweden is, has a new initiative piloted by Vinova, which Hill styles as focusing on the one-minute city directly outside people's front doors that hopes to empower residents to make their own decisions about what happens on their own street. Any hyper-local planning strategy must start first with this kind of profound community. Engagement, he said. But what I want to know... See, you can walk, you can use bicycles, but what about when it snows? What about ice storms? Hmm. Do we walk with cleats? I mean, I imagine, since we're doing this for climate, I imagine there 
staying climate observant while they're building these cities, I hope. Because it would just be utterly ridiculous to build a city and then have an ice storm fall upon it. And just to be able to sit at your house because you can't walk outside, you can't ride your bike outside. Have you ever tried riding your bike in the snow? It doesn't work. I mean, you can, but you're going to end up carrying it. Because it doesn't cut through the snow. And, you know, I'm sure if you have 15-minute cities and you may have 5 or 10-minute street people, who knows? But we will get that answer eventually. It says that the 15-minute city is seen as a sort of a top-down, technocratic urban planning. Then clearly that could exacerbate things, Hill said, but this outcome could be avoided, Hill said, with a more systematic and holistic approach. <laughs> that has social relationships as a starting point so that hyper-local planning becomes the vehicle through which you can address questions of social or environmental justice. He adds that an ambitious goal such as the 15-minute city requires cities to abandon traditional notions of urban planning as divorce from other local policies. Hopefully, we're past a time where you sort of see the urban planning department as a silo. Separate to the economic development, separate to social services, separate to health care, separate to environment, and so on. Pitter agreed that bottom-up approach to redesigning streets and neighborhoods that allows people to make their own decisions on design right outside the doorstep could be more productive. When we start from the street level and work from there, what happens is that we'll have more authentic intensification. Some cities and neighborhoods might go from a 45-minute city to maybe a 20-minute city, and that would be significant progress. Some places will go from 60 minutes to 50 minutes, and that too would be significant progress. In fact, some cities have embraced variations on the 15-minute city concept that plan out of Melbourne, Australia, has been based on the idea of 20-minute neighborhoods. We have to have a spectrum approach here and think incrementally. Taking an approach that is very hyper-local, added Pitter. So what is interesting about the 15-minute city approach is that it claims to be hyper-local, but it doesn't acknowledge the hyper-local context of different cities in different places. So that was the downsides of the 15-minute cities from Bloomberg. And that was uh, taking note of last year. But I tell you, um, you know, I live by major cities. And, you know, I'm looking around and what used to take... 10 minutes through the city now takes 30 minutes through the city because of all the traffic, all the commute. And if you look around just our city area here in Cleveland, it is overpopulated. Like all these turning lanes, all the lanes coming off the interstate, all the lanes are combining and zigzagging all over. I mean, you see around the busier times, the higher commute times, like between 5 p.m. and 6 p.m., I mean, it is backed up bumper to bumper. It's almost like driving through Atlanta at 6 p.m. I mean, you're looking at 
bumper to bumper traffic and you're stuck sitting there for an hour because traffic will not move traffic. This 15 minute city would be a blessing because you don't know how many times I'm surprised I have any hair left driving through these cities because it, it's a nightmare just trying to get through and people won't move and everybody's out for their own agenda and everybody's trying to get someplace and they're impatient. It's like, good God. So, and like, you know, my grandma, she, she can't stand driving in this stuff. It, it gives her too much anxiety. So for the elders, something like this would be an absolute blessing and an answered prayer because imagine having your commute in the morning only around 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. You go to work, you go to the doctor, you go to the store, everything under that time. Do you know how much more time you would have at home? And there's some people like, well, I know I'd have so much more time at home, but, but then I'd be trapped in my house because, you know, what if we had a lockdown? Well, you know, I, I can think of worse places to be with a lockdown. I mean, you could be in prison dealing with that kind of lockdown. Now, there's a lot worse places to be than at home. So at home is not really a bad, it's not a bad thing. But at the same time, you know, I'm looking at my commute now and then I'm looking at the idea of this and I'm like, okay, this is actually kind of nice. You know how much, just look at, say for example, if you were to move into a 15 minute city next week, just for example, look at how much you're paying in gas, how much it costs for you to keep your car legal and insurance on it. And just the upkeep with it. And then add all that together. Move into your 15-minute city and deduct that from your income. And you have all that extra money. That's a benefit. But a lot of people don't want to see it like that. Then take a quick break. Be right back. Let's look at an article that speaks about the origins of where all this came in from. Uh, we're going to look at Forbes. It was published September 30th, 2022. The name of the article is a 15-minute city, what they are, and how to build them. If you're an urbanite, how long does it take you to get to a, a supermarket, a public park, a pharmacist, or primary school? For proponents of the 15-minute city planning concept, the answer to all those questions should be less than 15 minutes. On first glance, the concept is very simple. To create neighborhoods and cities where a person can meet a host of their basic needs via a short walk or bike ride. Larger cities also tend to include public transit in the mix. Exactly what defines short varies from place to place. Copenhagen, for example, adopted a five minutes to everything model back in 2016, a maximum five minute walk to all amenities and public transport. For Melbourne, the goal was a 10 minute threshold or more specifically a 20 minute return trip to all amenities. Other cities, including Glasgow, Portland, and Hamilton, New Zealand, aim for 20 minutes. And while the specific time period differs, the central tenant, enhancing the accessibility of neighborhoods through design and active transit, remains the same. The concept, which is increasingly being generalized to the X-minute city, is revolutionizing the way we think about our urban homes. The planning model was formally proposed by French Colombian scientist and Sabani professor Carlos Marino in 2016. Elements of it have been around since at least the 1960s. 
Marina credits Jane Jacobs as a major source of inspiration, and it shares many of the same principles as walkable, mixed-used urban design. But Marino's 15-minute framing of it grabbed public attention. In French, it's called the La Ville du Court de Hure. And it's in France that it was first put into practice thanks to the support of Anne Hildago, the mayor of Paris. Marino's motivation for developing the model was to disrupt the traditional car-focused approach that dominates urban design thinking and replace it with a one-focused on hyper-proximity. Not only, he argued, would this result in huge emission reductions, it would also lead to more sustainable human-centric urban environments. There's a growing body of evidence that suggests such neighborhoods promote everything from social cohesion to public health. He was a vision that Hildago bought into wholeheartedly. She made it a cornerstone of her successful 2020 re-election campaign, saying that my project is about proximity, participation, collaboration, and ecology. In Paris, we all feel we have no time. We're always rushing to one place or another, always trying to gain time. That is why I'm convinced we need to transform the city so Parisians can learn, do sports, have health care, shop within 15 minutes of their home. So this is where it all evolved. This is where the origins of this idea came. So they've been tossing these ideas around for quite some time now. So it's pretty interesting whenever you actually do the research and you can see what's going on that we've been trying to consolidate and condense population for quite some time now. Either way, I'm going to take a quick break. Be right back. All right, last but not least, we're going to look at the World Economic Forum. And we're going to take a look at their definition of what a smart city is. Now, we've taken a look at 15-minute cities, and basically, that's just going to shorten your commute, your distance. And, you know, there's going to be some issues with it. About, you know, the weather, and then just different types of people trying to be condensed into a smaller area. But, this isn't all. Now, the 15-minute city, it's not stopping at that. We are going to be updating quite a bit throughout life. And this article has a pretty well-rounded description of it. It says, what is a smart city? Let's see when this was published. August 15, 2021. It says, we've heard the term in context as diverse as urban planning and governance transport, energy, the environment, health, and education. We've also noticed that the notion of smart cities relies on a range of technologies, including the Internet of Things, mobile solutions, big data, artificial intelligence, and blockchain. Because of this connection with technology, we've had concerns about how smart cities will address issues such as data privacy and social exclusion. We see a risk that urban areas with poor web connectivity could be left out of the smart cities trend. We'd like to continue to open dialogue on this trend. 
I said, at the World's Bank Global Smart City Partnership Program, we held a virtual knowledge exchange program on smart cities for sustainable development. Jointly organized with the World's Bank's Open Learning Campus. Now, those are all links that if you go to this article that I'm speaking of, you can click on to get more information on. But it says, jointly organized with the World Bank's Open Learning Campus to discuss the trend. At the, the event, we polled about more than 260 participants from around the world to find out what they thought a smart city should be. What makes an urban area and its citizens smart? And what they wanted to see in their own smart city as the world, as the word cloud shows technology, innovation, and connection were the first words that came to participants' minds with when they thought of smart cities. Citizen participation and data make a community and its citizens smart, according to most of the participants. Around half chose sustainability as a priority in their vision for a smart city. And a quarter voted for resilience. We asked our panelists similar questions. Here are, this has five takeaways, but we'll probably only get through a few. It says, Michael Donaldson, Chief Technology Officer of the City of Barcelona, said that he has seen a shift in the understanding of smart cities from associations with data and technology to a layered definition embracing citizen intelligence and humanizing technology. Barcelona's digital participatory platform enables citizens to help direct city management by suggesting ideas. Citizens have a lot of experience about the city. And... We need to gather this intelligence in order to make better decisions, he said. Alice Charles, head of cities and real estate at the World Economic Forum, noted the changing role of the, pl the private sector in smart cities from selling widgets and gadgets to the cities to promoting an outcome-driven model. Companies are focusing on technologies that help urban leaders achieve their goals. The model requires stronger partnerships among cities, the private sector, civil society, and academia. Examples include the Smart Cities Challenge, Buy Infrastructure, Canada, City Possible, Buy MasterCard, and the Helsinki Energy Challenge. Martin Wise, professor at the University of Pittsburgh, sees an opportunity in the wake of COVID-19 to find out what alternative smart worlds would look like. Digital technology has stood out as it facilitates remote work, private and public online service delivery, and contactless interactions. He said, we will focus on different questions than before, like how we make access to high-speed services, less dependent on heavy infrastructure, investments. Pedro Vidal, Intelligent Transport Systems Coordinator at the Chilean Ministry of Transport and Telecommunications, said that the pandemic, the pandemic hit mobility and public transportation services hard. We have made alliances with universities to understand behavioral trends and are convinced that there are some changes in mobility preferences, he said. 
we created lanes for bicycles and developed measures for using public spaces in a safe way. We have seen an increase in the use of public transport. This can be transformed into a big opportunity to have a more sustainable city. Now, if you keep going on down the list here, it's got... Uh, Basically, cities become smarter when citizens and communities use technology to co-produce an environment where their digital rights are protected and their cities are made more sustainable. Okay, you know we have a new internet coming out. It's called Leafy. So, a lot of things are getting revamped right now. So, the internet that we know it as now may be coming to a close and may be a thing of the past. So we're going to see how a lot of this breaks out, how a lot of this expands. But basically, I've had some visions of smart cities before, and everybody was interconnected. You know, even the human body was online, basically. Um, it was very easy for communication. It was very easy to get updates and alerts and, you know, just any kind of... Uh, heads up that we're having catastrophic issues going on. People would get the alert right there. Um, inside of them, actually. But, you know, as we gravitate into this, we're going to be rolling back quite a few laws. We're going to be rolling back quite a few ways of living to introduce a new, more sustainable, eco-friendly way of living. So, basically, we are revamping society, the modern man, and communities as we know it. Will we have enough time to get it all done before the climate gets worse? This here is a race against time. Will we get it done? <clears throat> well, we are looking at tons and tons of money that is going to be needed to fund these projects, to get them off the ground, to start revamping everything. And right now, our administration is spending more money across seas than they are here. So a lot of these other countries will be up and running while America is still standing here looking crazy. You never know. But what I do know is this climate and everything going on. We've known about this for quite some time now. You know, probably since before the 1970s. Because they've been calculating and predicting and wondering and all this stuff. Now here we are. So, are you ready for a 15-minute city? Are you ready for a smart city? And what all would you be willing and ready to give up to have that? You know, these are legit questions that every citizen needs to be thinking about. And, you know, for all those people who are introducing these ideas, they need to be introducing what life is going to be like living and commuting. What's the, what's the next generation going to be dealing with? What freedoms do we have now that we will not have then is what we need to be seeing information on. Because I've been doing research before I started the show 
and I'm seeing all these descriptions, but then I'm seeing a lot of conspiracy theories too. And it's like, wherever there is gaps in information, it is room for the conspiracy theorist. Just know that. You can get mad at them all you want, but fill in the gaps and you won't have them. That's how you hush the conspiracy theorist. Just saying. Be right back. Some pagan ritualistic history that a lot of people are, or may be unaware of. I'm reading you um, History Cooperative. And basically what it is, is city gods from around the world. And this was published uh, February 6, 2022. So city gods were the pride of the ancient municipalities that were destined to watch over as civilizations throughout the ancient world flourished from the Mediterranean to the Fertile Crescent cities both grand and humble were founded with these cities came the all-powerful gods that guided them after all during times of uncertainty it would be no surprise that these bustling centers of civilization found themselves turning to a higher power for guidance and to break away from the article real fast what kind of higher power are we turning to for guidance on figuring out these new era cities that we're getting ready to break into is it god the creator hashem adonai el shaddai is it him or is it someone else it says here Generally, the way these special gods function is that they would be selected by the populace or a leading official to be the patron god of the city. In times of strife, citizens would look to their specific city god for both direction and protection. It is because of this that a city god would often embody certain aspects or traits that would have been valued in that society, other than having the protective capability. And then it goes on to talking about eight city gods and city god cults from around the world. And you know, a lot of this climate change, it's, it's being viewed as a cult. It's being viewed as brainwashing, stuff like that. But in the end, if we look around, we can see that not just because we're in the age of information, not just because we have technology telling us what's going on around the world within two minutes of it happening, it's basically because the climate is acting up. And we have those who are in denial, we have those who don't think it's that bad yet, and then we have those who said, yes, we have issues. Things are happening and we need to get a hold on it. We need to grapple it. But we don't I'm telling you now, we don't have to seek some God to watch over us or establish some God to keep track and watch over our cities and whatever we're building. All we have to do is just reach out to God in general, and he will take care of things. But then if you look all the way through this article, you'll see that different gods that have been selected by several societies over the period of long history and is that in the mix now that we just don't know about either way it's something to take note of because with all this newness coming into play 
all these things happening right here right now we don't always get the answers and the details that we're looking for to fill in the gaps of knowledge that we're trying to achieve during this transition either way keeping God first never fails be right back all right let's finish out the show we only got about 20 minutes left now we've looked over the smart cities we've looked over the 15-minute cities we've looked over basically the race man is doing against himself basically and that's what it is all the leaders are pulling together trying to come up with a game plan fast and put it in effect fast because now the weather the world the climate is rearing its ugly head it's reminding man how mortal they are but you know what God already knew he already knew you were coming to this point he already knew you were going to come to the end of yourself in this matter hence he already had the new city in mind yes what is God's idea of a city is it what man is turning the city into now not necessarily we'll see we're gonna be reading from Revelation made clear and you know that always cracks me up because everybody tries to dilute so to speak the Word of God because they, they can't understand it and they feel like if they dumb it down to where people can understand it better then they'll read it and they'll know what God's saying well here's the deal when you come to Jesus and you receive him as your Lord and Savior then he also grants you the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that you may know and understand what the Word is you may know the seasons you may know him by his voice and you would have a helper but then also there's another responsibility that the believer has and that is to go to Jesus go to Yeshua in prayer and ask him to open your understanding of the scriptures now many people who pick up the Bible today they look at it and they're like okay this the thus the the all them other things that is in there and they're like whoa I don't I'm totally confused and that is normal that is normal but once you say the prayer to open your understanding you go back and you pick that book up again and it is plain as day you will be able to understand a lot of it but that's the purpose of reading it over and over again because as you mature then you see more things with more depth and more understanding as you move forward in the faith and you mature from a babe to someone who can handle spiritual meat of a certain topic but even then there are mysteries surrounding and the more you press in the more those mysteries are unlocked the main key is love 
You can know all the mysteries in the world. You can be a prophet. You can be some spectacle. And if you have not love, it is useless. But we don't need to dumb down the word or anything else. Just wanted to throw that in there. Now, we're going to be reading out of this article, and I don't see the actual date it was published. But, it says, The City of God, Revelations, chapter 21, verses 9 through 27. And this is actually a Revelation Bible study, by the way. And it goes on to say, The first eight verses of the chapter 21 describe the new heaven and the new earth. We notice that the new heaven and new earth are symbolic images just like the rest of the book. Now, I like how they say symbolic. Because I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to place a little marker right there. Um, no one knew that the world was going to get so bad that we could no longer use earth as a home. No one knew that we would be encountering these types of problems in the last days. You know, you have John, the one who wrote most of Revelations. You know, he's having all these bizarre, odd visions, and he's trying to describe them the best he can, living in the day that he has. And they didn't have planes back then, so he had to call them birds rising up. He had to describe things of today at his time, in his era. And I don't think anybody realized how much abuse and everything that we have done to the grounds that we stand on today and why God would really need a new city. But when that time comes, it's going to be newness all the way around. God is, he knows in advance where we're going to fall. He has already put in place solutions. If we would just acknowledge, repent, and serve him, we would be included in all this newness. But until then, we are stuck with the smart cities, the 15-minute cities, and all that is useless when it comes time for the new city to come down. But then it says, Revelations 21, uh, verses 1 through 8, teaches the new heaven and new earth are relational images. When Christ returns, then we will be able to fully be with God. Then we will be able to receive all the eternal rewards and blessings promised to the faithful. Then... We will find comfort in the arms of the Lord who wipes away our tears that we have from living in this present heaven and present earth. When Christ returns, there will be no more mourning, no crying, no pain, and no grief. These former things have passed away with the present heaven and present earth. Passages like Isaiah 65, verse 17, Isaiah 66, verse 22, and Second Peter Chapter 3, verses 11 through 13, confirm our understanding of the new heaven and new earth as the time when righteousness rules. 
this world with all its evil pain and difficulties has passed away now we are at home with the Lord second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 8 and then it goes on to the bride mess 21 verse 9 through 10 and it says revelations um, 21 9 John sees one of the seven angels who had poured out one of the bowls of wrath. The angel tells John that he is going to show him the bride, the wife of the Lamb. We already know from the scriptures what is going to be described to us. Revelation chapter 19 verses 7 and 8 told us that the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride is ready. The bride is defined for us as the saints, God's holy people, and the fine linen the bride is wearing represents the righteous deeds of the saints. Paul makes the same connection, describing how husbands love their wives as Christ loves the church. Christ is the husband, the groom, and the church. The people of God are the wife, the bride. The description the angel gives is not a description of a literal new city to be built in Palestine. The city, New Jerusalem, represents the people of God. Notice the other New Testament authors who make the same connection. The Apostle Paul described the Jerusalem that is from above as the children of promise, the people of God. Galatians chapter 4 verses 21 through 31. The writer of Hebrews spoke the same of the New Jerusalem. But you have come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits, and of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And that's Hebrews 12, verse 22 through 24 and it also says the ESV for that uh, translation um, it says the angel carries John away in the spirit to show him the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of the heaven from God being carried into in the spirit reminds us that John continues a visionary sequence revelations chapter 1 verse 10 chapter 4 verse 2 John has not been literally carried anywhere he is seeing a vision from God the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven connects back to revelations chapter 21 verse 2 we saw the new heaven new earth and new Jerusalem introduced verses 3 through 8 gave more details about the new heaven and new earth the rest of the chapter gives more details about new Jerusalem and then it goes on to New Jerusalem's walls and gates. And let's take a look at that second paragraph right there. It says, verses 12 through 14 describes the walls and the gates of the city. The great high wall represents how the unclean and wicked cannot enter into fellowship with God. Notice this point is clearly made in verse 27. But nothing unclean will enter in, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
The walls show that no one can enter unless they are in fellowship with the Lord. The walls and gates also pictures the prophecy that Isaiah made. See, just this little piece right here is why it's so important that whenever you receive salvation, you ask Jesus right then and there to add and write your name into the book of life to seal the deal this way when the New Jerusalem comes down. You will have a place secured in there. Then it goes on to say, In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that is that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. And it says Isaiah, chapter 26, verses 1 through 2. And that's another ESV translation edition. The other prophetic references come from Ezekiel's vision of the new temple in Ezekiel 40 through 48. The Ezekiel... In Ezekiel's context, the physical temple has been destroyed and the people carried into captivity. Ezekiel, in a vision, is taken to a very high mountain, like John was for this vision in Revelation. Ezekiel sees a great new temple. Revelation borrows many images and descriptions from Ezekiel's vision, showing the fulfillment of what Ezekiel prophesied. And I like how they say he borrows it, because... This is one thing that doesn't get spoken of about the prophetic very much is I've actually encountered prophets that would have very similar visions to what I was having at the same time. And what I feel through that experience is this is confirmation. So if John is seeing the same thing or similar things to Ezekiel, we don't know how far time spans technically, between when Ezekiel was alive and when John was alive. And at that time, the space and the differences and how far apart, etc., would equal more so a confirmation. Now, there is a probability that John could have very well read Ezekiel's visions, went into prayer, and God confirmed pieces of those visions to John. But it is not rare or an occurrence that rarely happens, should I say, to have two separate prophets having similar visions without collaborating prior. To me, that's been a form of confirmation. Like, okay, you've seen something similar like I did. Okay, well, then we need to keep praying and stand in agreement until God brings us through and manifests what he is showing us. But it says here, Revelation, um, as it says, Revelation borrows many images and descriptions for Ezekiel's vision showing the fulfillment of what Ezekiel prophesied. Ezekiel's vision describes the actual presence of God within the temple of the new community. John sees 12 gates guarded by 12 angels. Inscribed on the gates were the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. Ezekiel saw the same thing. In um, Ezekiel chapter 48, verses 30 through 35. There are three gates on each side of the city, each inscribed with the name of the sons of Israel. In addition to the 12 gates, there are 12 foundation stones. 
on the foundation stones were inscribed the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The apostles were the foundation of the city of God, the new Jerusalem. Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to the apostles who were guided into all truth, John chapter 16, verse 13. We obey the teachings of the apostles recorded for us as these holy scriptures, then we will become a part of the household of God and citizens in this great and glorious city of God. As the apostle Paul said to the Ephesians, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus his, himself being the cornerstone. And that's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. <clears throat> Either way, God already had a plan in place. He already knew we were going to destroy things. He already knew we were going to mess things up. He knew way before in the beginning of time. When he was breathing all that we see and speaking all that we see into existence. And it's amazing. Because here we are. Modern man refusing to serve God, refusing to acknowledge God, refusing that he is and will be and has been the creator, the God of this world, the God of us. But yet, God placed this as a footstool for a reason. He gave Satan dominion over this for a reason. He already knew and he's tried to redo this scenario, rewrite the narrative, so to speak, with all the great floods, with all the devastation, the starting over of mankind through Noah and the ark. And he knew where this was headed. He knew it was going to get bad. So he set into place prophecies, his prophets, Numerous other, I would like to say, pieces in his hand for his work because he knew where it was headed. He knew man in this day was going to reject him. And he is waiting for man to come to the end of himself before he says, okay. You've had your run. Now it's my turn. Folks, we don't just serve a miraculous God. We serve an on-time God. He already knew. And that is... I don't know. It, it's just... It makes you just breathe in deep and exhale because you're like, okay, all right. So I really don't have to worry as much as what everybody is running around doing because I know where my salvation is. I know where I'm going when I leave this world. And I know that God already has a new city for me that's going to answer every single need and desire and not limit me at all in anything. Folks, we have a lot to look forward to, especially as the believers. Those of you who refuse...
well, you, you get to look forward to eating the dust that much more after all your ideas have run dry, after you've run to the end of yourself, after you've no longer have a solution. Well, God has a solution, and that is repent, for God is at hand. The return of Yeshua is at hand. Nonetheless, we definitely have our work cut out for us, folks, when it comes to prayer. Nonetheless, God has already answered the need before we even realize we had the need. And as usual, it is a blessing to come into your home every week with a, some sort of message. If you enjoy what I'm doing, share, share, share. Go to the Spotify page, click follow the show so you can be notified as the show is rolling out every week. And Lord willing, we will see you next week. God bless all of you.